ain't surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today in the show, we have Dr. Shelby Harris. She is a specialist in sleep something that so many of us need, so many of us deny that we need it, and all the things in terms of how it can improve our health mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I don't know. We don't get into the spiritual on this episode, but needless to say, it's so important. And as I forget who who said this, but if sleep wasn't important, it would be the biggest mistake that evolution ever made. Because obviously when we're sleeping, we are doing none of the things that we are doing when we're awake. We're not protecting ourselves. We're not gathering resources. We're not expanding our family. We're doing all sorts of things. That was quite the euphemism there. <laughs> um, but needless to say, I was so excited to talk to Dr. Shelby Harris, not only for all of the reasons that I just mentioned, but in addition to that, she is a native Rhode Islander. She is not currently living here right now, but she grew up here. She went to college here. She even went to high school with my sister-in-law and maybe with my wife. They might have overlapped there at Tolgate High School in Warwick, Rhode Island, but so many reasons to talk to Shelby Harris. You're going to love this episode. We talk for an hour. We barely scratch the surface. So head over to the show notes to get more information on where you can learn more about Dr. Harris and all the things that she's doing. Uh, it's a remarkable um, output that she's putting out there. Uh, so she's, she's fantastic, and I'm sure that you're going to love this episode. So let's dive into it. Shelby Harris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's good to be here. I am so excited to chat with you. This is like Destiny has brought us together. <laughs> so many connections. We just connected offline and in previous weeks and months, going back to times that you, you emailed me in the past. This is so exciting to have you on. I say that because not only are you someone who is a dedicated amateur runner that we'd love to talk to on this show, you are a sleep specialist. More importantly, you're a Rhode Islander, which is really exciting. Not only that, you actually went to high school with my sister-in-law, which means you might have actually met my wife before. So many connections. This is really exciting. Oh, it's great. I mean, Lil Rhodey, all through and through. Even though I've been living in New York for 20-ish years, I still consider myself a Rhode Islander at heart, and I will never say I'm a New Yorker. Well, let's be real here. People who live in Westchester, when they want to go have fun on the weekends, they come to Rhode Island. 100%. So that's, that's all you need to know about which one's better. The number of engagement stories I've heard of friends here who got engaged in Newport or various parts of Rhode Island. I'm like, Newport has a very different connotation to me having been from Rhode Island. That's where I hung out sometimes in high school. So there you go. See, you know, not, you know pro professional badass Shelby Harris hanging yeah. out in Newport, <laughs> which is nowhere near where you grew up in high school. Um, <laughs> not at all. Don't tell my parents. So, there you go. All right. So we will. I, I will have to indulge the Rhode Island stuff, but we will do that at the end to spare everybody else who is actually interested in important topics to them. Uh, maybe not important topics to me and hopefully to you as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to touch base on what you know, your work, um, you know, how you got into it, all of that stuff. We do have some listener questions, which is really exciting. I'm sure these are questions that you've received any number of times, but this is one of those things where it's really exciting to talk about. So I think before we get to that point, let's just talk about how you became a sleep specialist and why this work became um, just something that you became interested in. So um, I went to Brown as an undergrad, so I really stayed in Rhode Island for a long time. So I went to Brown as an undergrad and they had a class there that was basically, it was just sleep. And it, there was a professor there, Mary Cascadden, who was amazing. And I just kind of fell into it right with that class. I audited it a little bit. And then um, afterwards, I worked at the research school or at the medical school. And I did research on um, sleep and people who were recovering from addiction. And what we saw was if you treated someone's insomnia early on in addiction recovery, especially alcohol, they actually had a lower risk of relapse. So when someone's sleeping better, it really can influence so many areas of their life. So that's when it really, the light bulb went out for me. And then I went to graduate school and they had a lot of um, training in insomnia that I was able to get there. And I worked at Montefiore Medical Center and I ran their um, insomnia program at their sleep lab. And since then, I've just kind of been in that field and seeing people do better in just a few sessions as a psychologist without medication, it is so rewarding to see. 
So did you go to Brown having this as a potential idea or what was the original path? I went to Brown and um, knew I kind of wanted to be a psychologist, but I didn't know what kind of psychologist. And then I, um, the beauty of that program is that there's really no requirements until you declare a major. So I just took, I was also a musician. I am a musician and I was an orchestra, a professional, a bass. I played the bass. So I majored in music there as well. And then it was more towards like, once I graduated and worked at the med school uh, before I went to graduate school, that's when I really said, you know what, there's something to the sleep and I want to do more of it. Oh, the Brown Open Curriculum. Everyone loves it. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, it was, it was great. I got to take classes in whatever I wanted. I loved it. So No, th- th- hey, look, look at you now. Obviously, it worked and you found something that you were super passionate about. Um, did you have trials and tribulations around sleep when you were younger or growing up or around the time that you were making these sorts of decisions? Well, I always was interested in sleep, but I never thought I would do it as a career, mostly because um, when I was a kid, I was a terrible sleepwalker. And so I have memories of trying to like leave my parents' house in Rhode Island and setting the alarm off and my dad thinking there was a robber. And so I always had to have like the bottom bunk at sleepaway camp and all these sorts of things. So that was just... I was, I was just fascinated with it. Um, but then it just, it kind of just all these little things fell into place. And that's when I really decided in graduate school that I wanted to do it. Absolutely. And when you're going through some sort of, you know, program where you're working with people who have dependency issues and you see this potential, not a silver bullet solution, but something that can have this overarching impact on how people are going through a problem and it can really help them. Did you at, or let me put this way, at what points did you start to realize just the comprehensive effect that sleep can have on a person, both positively and negatively? I would say it was more so once I was in graduate school and starting to see patients, just initially, because we would see patients, people with depression, anxiety, and I use very, I do something called cognitive behavior therapy. So it's a very evidence-based, skills-based kind of treatment. And the old way of thinking was always, let's work on someone's depression. Let's work on their anxiety, their worries, stress first. And there was newer research coming out at that time that showed that if you got someone to sleep a little bit better using some evidence-based techniques with or without medication, it could actually help their depression and anxiety. So I started to switch the way I thought about it of let's help the depression or mood stuff and let's do the sleep first. And if we got them sleeping better, it was amazing. You could see that their their um re, re, their response to treatment was so much better and faster overall. So it's that like that kind of thing. We always think that sleep is kind of like the symptom of something else, but if you treat it first, it can make other things fall in line a lot better and easier. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's easy to see how someone could fall into that trap of thinking that it's like, hey, like why is it such a draft in here? It's like, well, that window's broken over there, and you're like, no. But- that's true, but we're going to fix the foundation first so that the window doesn't get all messed up later. A hundred percent. And I think the big thing that it, that really needs to, people need to think about is that it's still not the common way that people in the medical and psychiatric community think. So if someone is struggling with sleep, but they have other issues going on, I mean, COVID, the whole pandemic threw things off for people, but it, you should always address your sleep. Don't leave it to be that, well, when other things get better, I'll start sleeping better. It should be thought of as like a separate issue and really, really give it the justice it deserves because then you'll start feeling better, hopefully. All right. When we talk about sleeping better, I think that's one of the things we're like, we kind of know what that means. But just from a scientific and, and you know, something that you've been able to see in terms of numbers and metrics and so many patients and studies that you've done and read other people's work and things like that. What does sleeping well or sleeping better in certain cases, what does that actually mean uh, in terms of being able to function at the highest level for the you know preponderance of people out there? Now, the thing I stress is, that's a great question. Um, the thing I stress is if you use data, like the watches, the rings, all this sort of fancy stuff. Oh, I got a lot of questions about that. I, know, <laughs> I got a lot imagine. of questions about that. I think of sleep quality as being very subjective. It's, there's no real like, oh, this is what, you know, something says I slept well. No, it's subjective. So it's really making sure that you're getting enough sleep routinely. So what does that mean? Right. So for most of the population, it's between seven to nine or even six to nine hours. There are some outliers. People need a little less. Some people need a little bit more, but the majority of it is between six and nine. That's where that eight comes from. It's just basically in the middle. Um, so if you get a full night, 
And you might have an awakening here and there, but you don't feel like your sleep is really broken. You don't have trouble falling asleep, meaning within a half hour you fall asleep. If you hit the pillow immediately and are out, you might actually need a little more sleep. That's actually suggestive that you're sleep deprived. It should take a few minutes. And if you don't have a lot of awakenings in the middle of the night, you're not for a long time and you wake up around the time you want to get up in the morning. And that happens at least five nights a week. We don't want perfection every night. That's not attainable for many people either, but at least five nights a week, you feel that way. And then during the day, you feel well rested and refreshed, maybe with a dip here and there, like after lunch, you're good to go. All right. How does age or and or gender play a role in this at all? Oh, big question. So um, gender, women, I hate to say it, have more insomnia typically than men. Um, hormones are a big issue. So every month or so, some women will start to notice that they have insomnia for a few days that then will alleviate itself. Pregnancy, menopause, all these hormone changes can lead to it for women more as well as just more stress sometimes. Um, and aging, the older you get, especially when you get into your like 60s and older, you tend to have more awakenings and your sleep's not as deep as it used to be. So, and then a lot of older adults might nap a little more in the day to make up for not sleeping as much at night. But that's the big change. It's just not as deep. Yeah, like my it's like I'm not going to get I'm not going to go I'm going to take too many detours here <laughs> to diving to, to personal love, but I know definitely the, the the grandparents that I know and talking to them about their friends, they all seem to have like these crazy sleep hours or like I fall asleep here and they're like, I fall asleep super late now. And then whatever, or like I wake up at 2 a.m. all the time and I can't go back to sleep. I feel like I hear those stories from that age population much more than I hear the opposite. I see that. Yeah. And that's what I see in my practice a lot. But it's a little bit of like, if you're okay sleeping six hours at night here and there, and then taking a nap for two hours on and off throughout the day, I think about like my grandfather used to fall asleep in front of like CNBC and just watch the ticker, the stock ticker all day, just on and off dozing. If that's okay with you, then I'm not going to make a change. But if you're up at 3am every day, and you can't go back to sleep, then it's something you should get addressed. You don't don't assume that insomnia is part of aging, because it should get addressed. There you go. All right. So you mentioned the vast majority of people need between six or nine and so on and so forth. Oh, one more thing about age. The vast majority of people who are listening to this are not going to be teenagers. Um, but the vast majority of people who are listening to this might be parents of kids in that age group. So how does it matter if we age down? Okay. So like, what is the sleep timing kind of for like teenage aspect? Yeah. We don't have to spend too much time on it, but like if someone's in that, in that age group, and I know there's like this whole movement in certain, certain communities around the country of like pushing back the, the, the school, the school day to make it, you know, viable. Again, there's, there's domino effects with that kind of change. And I know it's not an easy change to make for so many communities or even for parents for that matter. Um, but when kids are, you know, say, five to 15, what does that age range look like in terms of optimum sleep? So five to 55, when we start talking, like five-year-olds are like the early, like they go to bed early, they wake up early. But when you start to hit like preteen, I have an 11-year-old and I'm starting to see it. They go to bed, they naturally have their biological clock starts to go to bed later and they start to sleep later. And most teens need, this is crazy, but need about nine and a half hours of sleep at night. I cannot name one that actually gets nine and a half hours of sleep at night because School starts earlier. Now, COVID has actually fixed that a lot for a lot of people. So with oh. online school, and then a lot of schools actually had to start a little later, that a lot of teens are not struggling in the same way because they're able to get up a little bit later for school. But yeah, it's a natural biological shift later to a later wake time. And then when you become an adult, around 20, or I mean, what does adult really mean? But like in the 20s, it starts to go a little bit earlier to like 10, 11, wake up at 6, 7 in the morning. So it's like early, right. late, middle. Like the bus comes by my house at 630 in the morning. It's crazy. And I'm like, again, and I know it can't, th these are very difficult logistical questions. Even if a community is like, hey, we are fully on board. We agree with everything you're saying, Dr. Harris. But what do you want us to do? There's only so many buses. Like there's so many, it's, it's, we don't have to dive into that, but I know it can be a tough issue for communities to deal with, even if they are completely on board with everything that you're bringing up. Yeah, that's something I've been doing a lot of, even right before the pandemic, I was doing a lot of consulting with school boards in Westchester because we're trying, a lot of people are trying to change the school. But like you said, it's a domino effect. It's not just buses, but it's 
it's buses and then after school activities. A lot of things that some of the, the communities think about are sports. If they're outside and they're playing outside in the fall and, you know, or is there going to be light if they don't have light on the field? So there's all these different things. And that then factor if, it's, in. If, it's a, if it's a household where both parents are working outside of the home, you're like, what do you want me to do? I'm not here. Who's going to bring these kids to school or the bus or whatever? Right. It's a struggle. But there is really strong evidence showing that if the kids get a full night's sleep, like when we're giving them tests at 9 in the morning at school, it's like giving an adult who wakes up at 7 a.m. normally, it's like giving an adult a test at 3 in the morning for their brain. So like they could be doing so much better. And the other thing that I was going to say is that we noticed that there is with sleep-deprived teens especially – there's more risk of accidents and injuries from playing like sports and stuff if they're not getting enough sleep. So it could benefit them, but there it's the logistics that are really the, str- the strongest it wasn't, problem. There's a, there's a town in Minnesota where they pushed this, the um, beginning of school back for high school, like an hour and a half. Maybe it was, maybe it was two hours. And they had like a 30% dip in teenage car accidents in the pre in the following year. There's been a few districts that have done it and shown that. Yeah, car accidents, testing rates go, or testing scores go up. It's like amazing. There was all over the news about a month or two ago. One of my colleagues, Lisa Meltzer in Colorado, did a bunch of studies. She was like totally on board with getting her town in Colorado to change it. And now they have all this research coming out and how, and actually they they documented how they got the school to change everything and the school board meetings oh. and everything. But yeah, accidents go down. It's pretty dramatic because we have these like, kids who are basically like in the middle of the night driving and taking tests. They're they're out of it. Right. And it's funny because like for – so I have elementary school kids. So I have a daughter in third grade and I have a son in kindergarten. My daughter's taking like the Rhode Island like – RICAST, the Rhode Island testing system, whatever. But it's funny because like for her, they're better off doing the morning test because of her age group. Whereas like if they do that test for like a 1.30 in the afternoon for her age group – She's, she's right? going to be wasted at that point. Right. Yeah. Now I have, I have a kindergartner as well. So it's like, you got to go They're early to bed, early to rise. The teens are the exact opposite. We need to switch everything, but it's not going to be easy to do. And then there's our age group where we're just tired all the time. We should never be taking a test at any point of the day, period, full stop. Uh, maybe directly after lunch before we get like the, the lunchtime tiredness effect afterwards. Um, so let's talk. So the best way people that are going to be listening to this show are people who are trying to run well, who are trying to parent well, who have some sort of job or doing things during the day that they, they want to do all of these things. Well, in addition to that, the times like their physical well-being and mentally, they also have this emotional and spiritual well-being that is also very important to them. That can be really hard to check all of these boxes. So I'm not going to ask you a four-part question on all of these things, the most general question in the world. But I will ask you, though, when we're talking about performance and people who are worried about all of these things, and for so many of us, they are interconnected. Instead of saying, what does how does sleep benefit them necessarily? If, say, I'm only getting five and a half hours of sleep and it's going to be a consistent basis, how is that negatively affecting my life and these things that I care about? It affects you in so many different ways, right? So I I always think about it just from like top down. So sleep loss, chronic sleep loss, and we even see this with like one night of sleep loss, right? But more chronic sleep loss leads to memory function issues. There's some initial data showing that it can put you at a greater risk of developing dementia down the road. Um, it really, you're just not as sharp. You're not as clear mood issues. Like you just, your stress tolerance and irritability the stress tolerance goes down, your irritability goes up a lot of times. Um, I know that happens with me a lot. And then just thinking about like just physical health, right? So you're at greater risk for diabetes, um, weight gain, heart conditions, stroke. Um, it's just like a lot, a whole sequela of stuff. And then if you're someone who's trying to um, watch your weight or you're exercising, you're trying to take care of yourself, if you're doing that routinely, but you're not getting a good night's sleep, you're not getting the most out of your exercise because you're going in at a sleep deprived level and you're not going to be able to recover the way you need to from some of the harder workouts that you might be doing. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss who used it all the time. 
And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence, uh, but it's it's legit and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that Getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Hey, everybody, do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like. So you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options, and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RAMBLINGRUNNER179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RAMBLINGRUNNER179 today. That's up to $104 value. All right, so let's talk about preparation. So lack of sleep, how it affects getting ready to do your workout and being putting yourself into position to you know basically maximize that effort you know most people who are listening to this will work out one once or twice a week they'll have a quality session whether it's a speed work or doing a long run maybe it's a long run that has some speed elements within it if I'm not sleeping well how is that going to affect my performance um, during that effort so if it's beforehand and you're going in with just like a really not much gas in your tank for sleep, what it's going to do, coordination issues are the biggest issue that we see. So you're really not going to be coordinated. You're going to find that it might be harder to lift well, to run faster, to just be as balanced. You're going to be at a greater risk of injury as well. Um, and then just also mood, right? So you might just have that kind of like, screw it. I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> just quit. Um, that's a lot of what happens. You're just not going to be at your physical best to do it, mood and body. I think of sleep even more. I mean, it's important there for sure. I think of it even more important when you're doing speed sessions, heavy lifting sessions, any of that long runs. I think of the sleep as being even more important the night after that mm. or that night, the night following the workout, because that's when your body is repairing itself. That's when your muscles are growing. You're doing, um, your, your brain is literally learning how your body is moving and creating code for whatever running you're doing, whatever stronger lift you're doing. If you're not sleeping, you're not going to encode that and your body is literally not going to grow in the way that it needs to to repair for the hard exercise session. You won't get the benefit. 
Right. So I've heard the phrase before, neurons that fire together, wire together. Are you saying that that rewiring in the plasticity that comes with that, that, that happens during sleep hours? Exactly. And that really happens um, physically. All the, all the like muscle repair, the tissue repair, that all happens in the deeper stages of sleep at the beginning third of the night. Um, so it's really important to, to get a full night's sleep so you can make sure you're getting enough of the sleep stages that you can to get the benefit. Oh, no, the first third of the night for so many of us. How many times have we seen the first third of the night contributing to or not contributing to resulting in some version of, yes, the kids are asleep. Victory is mine. I can finally do what I want today. I'm going to go on the couch, whether that's all of a sudden looking at Netflix or I'm catching up with friends on social media, just doing something that I enjoy. I don't have little kids running around driving me nuts. Feeling great. Yes, adult time. Wonderful, right? And then we fall asleep in that position, whether it's on the couch or what have you. Um, and then, you know, we then have to wake up and then kind of meander around like, oh, shoot, I got to brush my teeth or I got to make the coffee for tomorrow morning. And then all of a sudden you have this kind of truncated version of sleep and then finishing a nighttime routine, maybe even starting the nighttime routine and then going back to sleep in earnest after that. What exactly does that do? The bro, it's, you're not consolidating your sleep cycles that you need, right? So when you go to bed at night, you go into deeper stages of sleep, then you have light, and then you have REM, which is that kind of active dreaming sleep. And then you wake up briefly, you go back, and you do the cycles all throughout the night. You have more of the deep sleep than the first third. But if you keep getting up, you have the TV that's making a noise that's then waking you up or whatever else it might be. Those are all things that are going to disrupt the solid sleep staging that you need to be getting through. And you're not going to get the quality. It's quality that's really key there. And you're not getting the quality that you need. And the stuff that you're talking about, there's a term that's been out for like maybe a year or two called re revenge bedtime procrastination. That's what people are calling it now. Who are, they, who are, we, who are we revenging? Who, I, you're, am I, I, is this, is this self-sabotage revenge? In which case... I can testify to my own belief in terms of that being the case, but I'm not sure if that was the technical term. It's, I think it's like, it's like, screw it. I have nothing else to do. The kids are in bed. I'm going to go all rogue here. And it's just, it's a fascinating term. It used to be called momsomnia, which kind of limited half of the, you know, half the population, but it's really that like, I have that quiet time and I fall for, I'll, I fall prey to that myself too. It's nice to have quiet time. Oh, for sure. And again, I feel like my, my, my inability to sleep has a bunch of factors. That being one of them is like, there's like, yes, I can finally, I can finally watch something or relax the way I want to relax. There's also the fear of like, if I go to sleep, that means I'm waking up soon. And I, I want to, I want to delay that. Right. If like, say you had a tough day with the kids, you're like, I, I am not looking forward to tomorrow morning and starting this all over again. Again, I love my kids, but there are times where I feel that way. And the faster I go to sleep, the faster that morning is coming. And I'm like, I'm going to postpone that. I don't know. I, again, I don't, I don't want to turn this into a therapy session. I know you do cognitive therapy. <laughs> we don't have to go down that road, but I, I feel like I'm not the only one that has these thoughts. I mean, I, I feel that way a lot too. It's draining, right? But the way I think about it is it's like people look at the sleep stuff as very limiting, right? It's like, I have to keep this schedule and be rigid with all these things or else it's, you know, for not. I look at it as like, everyone says this now online, but it's like progress, not perfection, right? If you have a bad day and you just want to be in front, fine, but it's don't make a habit of doing it every, every single night. So once in a while, do those things. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't watch Netflix and do all that sort of stuff. It's just, if you can try to watch one episode of something as opposed to like five, like see where you can cut back, but also don't, you don't have to be perfect with it every single day. Like if you're really trying to prioritize a few good nights, then if you had a day where you had a really hard workout. Right. Maybe try to make sure that's a night where you're going to get to bed a little earlier. Like try to figure out where you can make those changes, but not perfect every day. How often do you work with people who have been low grade sleep deprived for so long that maybe because maybe because it's been for so long and because it's not like I sleep two hours a night. Right. It's that low grade, but yet consistent sleep deprivation that puts them in a spot where there's a co there's a potential cognitive dissonance between what they think is themselves at 100% or being in a good spot because right? so much of this is subjective like you mentioned but them just not knowing what 100% actually is because it's been so long since they've been at that level right i see more of the people i would say what you're reporting is like much of the population 
right? So a lot of people are just walking around sleep deprived. And when you're sleep deprived, you don't really recognize that there are things going on. It's like there's actually been studies looking at people who don't get sleep for a few nights or even one night. It's it it it, it almost makes it sound like it's similar to a blood alcohol level that's again above. I was the just le- about to make that comparison. Above the yeah, legal limit. And those pay and those people can't judge when they'll say, "Oh, I'm fine to drive," or "I'm fine to do these things." It's the exact same thing that we've seen in studies with people who are sleep deprived. And the chronic thing is just keeps going on. Right. But what I tend to see are more the patients that have insomnia that are trying desperately to get more sleep, but they just can't. So it's a different Mm. thing. I think it's much more of a shift of the population just saying we need to make it a priority and get more sleep as opposed to because those aren't insomnia patients necessarily. I see the ones that really just can't sleep no matter how hard they try. Okay, let's talk about because you brought this up before and it's on my list of I got so many topics. Um, normally I write down like three things before and I can just kind of extrapolate out as I go. I got all this stuff. Um, let's talk about nutrition. And I think there's a couple of different ways that we can approach this. And I love to, I'll just, I'll, I'll follow your lead on this one, but I know that we have, you know, you have the hormones when you don't sleep that affect what you want to eat. There's the, the metabolic issues that happen when you're, when you're sleep deprived, you have just the cravings that can come into play. What, and again, I'll, I'll let you take the lead here, but I was surprised before reading like Matthew Walker's book and doing more of this stuff, how much sleep can be tied to nutrition and just what we're putting in our bodies. So, in I mean, what in particular about nutrition are you talking about? Like, Okay, so let's first talk about if I'm not sleeping well. Again, so the chron- so the, the insomnia group, even like the chronically sleep-deprived group, how is that lack of sleep affecting what I want to put in my body from an eating perspective? Okay. So what tends to happen just in general, if you're sleep deprived is your hormones shift. So you tend to get more of the ghrelin, which is, I always think G for go. So it makes you want to eat more and you get less of the leptin, which L is for less. So you, your body literally gets a signal, eat, 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 and you don't know when you're full. That's the problem. And when you're sleep deprived, what do we do? You have to think of it almost like an evolutionary perspective, right? You're in a cave and there's an animal that comes in. You need quick energy that's going to fill fill you up so you can fight or flight. And that's what our body is essentially doing. It's looking for quick hits of energy so that we can do what we need to do. So what do we crave? We crave high sugar, tend to be high fat because that's also calming for a lot of people, especially if they're stressed being up late at night, but it's the high sugar, high fat. And then you also think about you're not getting that signal in your brain to stop eating. You're getting a signal for to eat more. So then we just eat more and more. And then before you know it, you've eaten like a bag of chips and a box of ice cream. Right. I'm thinking of like the nutty professor scene. Well, I don't remember that. I haven't seen that. Professor Clump, he's got like, he's got the, the tub of ice cream on his belly. He's eating it. He's got like you, you, I saw you just drinking water. He basically has the exact same size pitcher of M and M's. He just pours it like into his mouth from like a yeah. foot away, and like and, and just th- those foods just generally speaking make you want to eat more of them, right? Like that's even been a catchphrase for some of them. Like I bet you can't eat just one. Like, mm-hmm. and I also right. I also think about it too. Like when it's if you're up late or you're sleep deprived in general, and a lot of people are doing this like right before bed, an hour before they should be going to bed. The part of your brain, the judgment part of your brain is also not fully online either. So it's like, sure, I have, you know, what, why not? I deserve it. you like, you don't talk yourself out of stuff as easily because your brain's half asleep. There you go. Now, is there metabolic effects of not sleeping the amount that you should in terms of like your body's composition and things like that? I know I've, I've read this in certain places, but I wasn't too clear on it just in terms of like hoarding fat and burning muscle and things like that. Are you aware of anything like that? Not really my area so much of specialty, but I mean, we do find that when you are not sleeping as much, you are storing fat because that's what can turn, you know, that, I mean, that because of what you're eating essentially too is that, but right. metabolically, not so much my area, but you do when you are sleeping better, you tend to, um, your metabolism speeds up a bit too. So if you're trying to like lose weight or change your body composition, but you're not getting a good amount of sleep, you're going to, you're setting yourself up for failure. I kind of giggle a little bit when I have like the intermittent fasting stuff, um, which I know there is science behind it and it's not a joke. Generally speaking, it's not a joke, right? That there are science behind it and there's very smart people who've done a ton of studies, so on and so forth. But part of me is like, true. And I don't sleep well, so I'm not included in this group, but there's probably people who sleep well who are like, I don't 
quote unquote intermittent fast. I just go to sleep. I sleep for nine hours and then I wake up and eat. Like you're intermittent fasting for nine hours. I'm just sleeping for nine hours. And you know, you say tomato, I say tomato type thing. I think about it. Actually, I've thought about it the exact same way as you do. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's for some people who really struggle with nighttime eating, it's a nice restriction for them, but hopefully eventually they'll start to just go to bed a little bit earlier. So it can make a difference. The one thing also to add to all this too, is that we see a lot um, of sleep apnea that people don't talk about a lot of times either. So it happens more middle age especially I think with COVID, because a lot of people have gained weight over COVID too. So if you're snoring, I mean, me too. Like I'm raising my hand for people who can't see the video. (laughs) So snoring, choking, gasping in your sleep. And if you just feel like you get a full night's sleep, but you're still feeling not very refreshed or tired, um, and you can't get through the day without feeling like you need to nap, that's all stuff that needs to get addressed as well, because that can influence your body's ability to metabolize properly because you're getting very broken sleep at night. And that can also lead to insomnia for some people too. So it's something that you need to address. And we see it a lot. A lot of people just assume, well, you have to be overweight and you have to be an older male to have apnea. That's not the case at all. I have worked with many younger adults who are thin. You would never know it, but just based on their anatomy, they're at risk for sleep apnea. And other people who just work out a lot and they work their shoulders, they work their upper body, you could actually be putting yourself at greater risk of sleep apnea. So if you snore, you need to keep that in mind. It's funny. I remember the first overall pick in the NFL draft was uh, two decades ago, uh, named Jamarcus Russell. He's like the super talented guy from LSU. He's like this unbelievable talent. And it came out a couple of years after he was drafted and he didn't, didn't play well in the NFL. And there, there are a ton of reasons. I'm not going to just lay it all on the foot of sleep, but it did come out that he did have sleep apnea and that there were people who were like, this isn't the only reason it didn't go well for him, but like this was absolutely a factor. A huge factor. There are so many, I mean, football, especially it's like a huge, it runs rampant there. Yeah. But if you would treat it and you get the right treatment, then you can be fine. It's not a problem. All right, let's talk about environmental factors, both positively and negatively. Um, by that, I mean just like the room that you are in, the temperature that is in the room, temperature of the bed, and does like all of that stuff. How do, what are some recommendations that you usually try to give people and or just some like the not like the don't do list type stuff? So the first thing that you kind of alluded to is try not to fall asleep on the couch. I know I do it myself. It's not easy. But if you can really just use your bed for sleep, it will make it easier to get better quality sleep because your brain's going to learn this is where I sleep, not other places. So that's always the first thing. We always say the bed's for sleep. Um, the bigger things I always think about right now, especially because the summer is coming, is the light is coming out so early that it, a lot of people are having awakenings at 5 in the morning, 5.15. Try to make sure it sounds so simplistic, but make sure you have really good light blocking shades. And if you have kids that keep coming in at five in the morning, make sure that they have really good light blocking shades as well. Um, birds even are making noises outside of 430. So really, if you need to use a white noise machine, I like the actual machines more than the apps because they tend to sometimes some of them loop and they don't sound as good. So white noise, dark is key, not light filtering or light room darkening. You want light blocking. Um and there are very, like, if people go to, like, my Instagram, I have examples of how to do, like, a good, cheap, inexpensive light blocking shades. Um, and then temperature is another big one. So a lot of people, like, they have a spouse that wants the bedroom one temperature and the other person wants it another way. Cooler is better. So we usually say up to about 72 degrees Fahrenheit, 62 to 72. I usually keep my house about 69, 70. Um, and if you have a different thermostat from your significant other that you sleep with, you might have to just get, it sounds so ridiculous, but get two different layers of bedding. So you have like a comforter on your end that might be heavier. And then the other person has a comforter that's lighter so that you can have your own bedding. It doesn't look pretty, but it works really well. Um, yeah. And you want it like a cave. I always say quiet, dark, cool, comfortable, and relaxing. You want to enjoy your bedroom. If you don't like your bedroom, good luck. <sighs> That's true. Uh, also, maybe if you don't like your bedroom, that's a great way of only being in there when you're sleeping. Is there a way we can, can can change that up? Be like, make your bedroom a horrible place that you never want to be in unless you're sleeping. Like, paint the walls a stupid color, right? Have weird weird posters in your room. You're only going to be in there if you want to sleep. And you, if you're in there and it's awful looking, you're going to want to close your eyes. You're not going to want to see what's around you. To each their own. You know, to the insomnia <laughs> patients, the insomnia patients that I see... It's normally like I give them a quiz and I'll say like, when you think of your bedroom, what do you think? And people usually say like rest, frustration. So 
if you can sleep more in your bed, they're going to associate it with better things. I don't necessarily want them saying purple walls, but you know, if it helps you to sleep, more power to you. <laughs> the walls in my previous bedroom were purple. It's ah. hysterical that you say that. <laughs> um, I that was not that was not the Matt Shittum choice of the color, but he did paint it. Um, so, I, all right, so. How about other things? So you mentioned like there's ways from a sheet's perspective to try to make it like our one side is warmer or one side is cooler than the other. Uh, there are like, say like a chili pad. Is there other things like take from a technology perspective? And we'll get into gadgets and sleep tracking in a second, but just other gadgets that can assist with the temperature issue. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are a lot of things out there. Like if it's getting, if you find that your sheets, like chili pads, great. You can do, there are a lot of different types of sheets that you can get. There are some that are, um, like there, if you look at online, there are a lot of articles that'll look at like, um, linen versus cotton paracle versus like, uh, uh, what's it? bamboo sheets, eucalyptus. There are ones that are naturally cooling, um, that are really great that you should try. And then the, the, the other really big trend that people seem to really love are weighted blankets. So I find I've tried a bunch of different weighted blankets. They're, they tend to make you feel like you're in a cocoon. And like, if you're someone who has a little bit of anxiety and just can't settle down, they're great. Um, you want to get a weighted blanket that's about 10% of your body weight. So I've had patients, like I always say, only sleep in your bed. And they're like, well, I have my weighted blanket on. And if I have to go to the bathroom, I can't get out of bed. Well, then your weighted blanket's too heavy, right? Like 10% of your body weight. But if you find that it's too heavy, but you like the it, you're sweating, they make certain ones that are actually cooling, that have a lighter weave to them. So sometimes it might cost a little bit more. But if you just look up cooling technology for something you like, you might be able to find it a little bit easier. And pillows, there are a gazillion pillows out there that are cooling. There's there's gadgets and tech for everything. Speaking of gadgets and tech, plenty of wristwatches, boob straps, so on and so forth, um, advertise the ability to help track your sleep because they want you to be healthier. And this is all like, they're not trying to be nefarious with this. They're trying to help you have a better night's sleep. They understand the importance of sleep. Um, and with the best of potentially the best of intentions, they want to help you do that. It seems like the techno the review of the technology with wrist-based tracking for heart rate in general and sleep specifically in this case isn't great. But that's just me looking at different things that I've, you know, kind of perused. What has been your experience with these sorts of devices? So I I use them, but I use them for specific people, right? So there's, I think they're great for the person who doesn't make sleep a priority. So if you're, you could sleep more, but you just don't get to bed early enough or you don't, you, you know, whatever, you're burning the candle both ends. That's when it's great because the timing of how much sleep you're getting is pretty accurate with most of them. It's really a motion detector. That's what they often will do, right? For that sort of stuff. Like when do you stop? We used to use, we call them actigraphs. We've used them for years in sleep medicine. They were really ugly watches that are motion detectors. And that's what a lot of these do. And then the heart rate variable, all that sort of stuff too now. But that's where it's good for. It might make you, oh, I should go to bed more or a little earlier, sleep a little later because I'm not getting enough. Now, for someone who has a little bit of an, like they want to look at all the data that comes with it, like what sleep stage was I in light sleep, deep sleep, that's where the data behind them isn't fully settled. The question is like how accurate, they're not always as accurate. So take that with a grain of salt, the middle of the night stuff, but it's pretty good at telling you how much sleep you're getting on average. Now, that being said, if you're someone who has insomnia, where you try to sleep, but you can't, these trackers are actually worse because what they do is they make you hyper-focused on it and it can worsen your, I have to sleep tonight because my watch says this. And then the problem actually gets worse. That was the next question. Perfect. Lead, led right into it because the, the, the whole meta-analysis in the moment of someone's sleep as opposed to reviewing it the next day. Hey, how did that go? Oh, okay, this was fine. Or, and it have to get a little bit earlier tonight. The in-the-moment analysis of it, especially for someone who's maybe positively predisposed to overthinking it or getting stressed about it, how does this kind of play into like, all right, thank you for all the knowledge. Knowledge is power. But now I'm just realizing that I'm really messing this up. And now it's making me even more anxious when I try to go to sleep. Sometimes more data is just more data. And it's not always, and if you can recognize that it's not really totally effective data or helpful data, then you got to let it go. Like I, the first thing I give every patient of mine that walks through, remember I deal with insomnia patients mostly, I give them a diary and I have them like old school, what time did you go to bed? How many times do you think you woke up at night? 
And I do not want watch data. It's really subjective. And if you feel well rested and refreshed during the day, like we learned how to sleep before all these watches and all this stuff happened. So sometimes you just need to go back to basics. Okay. So let's dive into some of the, the questions from listeners. All right. These are in no particular order, the order of which I am reading them. Um, first one is just about supplementation, right? There's certain supplements, um, not like comprehensive supplements, like we have this ingredient and this ingredient and this ingredient, but there's certain specific ingredients that you can buy that are supposed to help you with sleep, melatonin being one of them. What are some things that you feel like people come across quite often that either you have strong opinions on or ones that you recommend to people that you think can be helpful? So melatonin, like you said, is one of the most popular ones. That It's interesting. All these supplements really don't have any strong research behind them for helping people with insomnia. Melatonin has the most research, but it's still very mixed. Like the number of people I see who've tried melatonin that does something, it's very small. That's helpful. So you can try melatonin if you feel like you have some insomnia and you want to try using it. That being said... If you're taking more than five or six milligrams of melatonin, more is just more. And that's not, it means it's not working for you. And you should not be taking more than five or six milligrams. Most people take around three and don't put all your eggs in that basket, hoping that it will work. Um, I do use melatonin a lot though, in tiny, tiny doses with people who are like extreme night owls and they can sleep eight hours, but they don't go to bed until three or four in the morning. And then they sleep until noon. Like that's when we do use it a lot. Um, but the one other thing to keep in mind, too, is that melatonin, like valerian, all this sort of stuff in the U.S., it's not regulated by the FDA. So you're kind of getting what the bottle says. So if you're going to try it, I always tell people to look for something that says USP on the bottle. It just means it was verified by an outside company. Um, but, yeah, it's not a it, there isn't really a cure all out there. And then the other thing I get a lot of questions about now is um, is like um, CBD, THC, all that sort of stuff. We just, I mean, what we're finding more and more, there's not a lot of research on it yet, honestly, is that it helps some people to fall asleep, but then the quality of the sleep you get isn't so great. So we just need more data behind it. But there isn't a panacea, unfortunately. Can someone be have a dependence on melatonin physically, or is it more of like a mental dependence? You know, there's some people that will suggest that if you start using it more in the long term, your body isn't going to make melatonin because you do naturally make it. That still hasn't been fully shown in research, um, but it's it becomes more of a mental dependence. You can take it and then just stop it here and there with no real problem. You can have your significant other just like throw in some sugar pills into the bottle. And- there you go. There you go. I have people then- who are taking dust of stuff after a while. I'm like, it's not doing anything for you. It's all in your head. <laughs> All right. Um, all right. Here is a here's a great question. This is good because for a lot of people, they either a lot of folks who are listening to this, if they're doing a quality session or they're running at all during the week, it's usually early in the morning or later in the evening if they can't go for their lunch break. So, two questions uh, about pretty much the same thing about sleep the night of a quality session. So, someone did a long run in the morning, or someone did like a really hard workout. They are obviously fatigued. They're tired. Uh, maybe even more tired than they normally would be, but they're having trouble sleeping that night and they're kind of can pull to these people are, are confused about that and not sure quite why that's happening. So, I mean, it depends upon the person too, but I mean, morning workouts tend to be better than an evening workout. So if they're working on the evening and they have trouble sleeping, you got to switch it to the morning because it can be too alerting. Um, in the morning, it could be a number of things. It could be like, for me, if I have a really bad session, I notice that my legs will twitch sometimes a little bit more. So you want to notice if anything like that's happening. A lot of people have like restless legs and restless like limbs where they can't relax themselves. So if that happens a lot, um, you could consider talking with your doctor about, um, magnesium that sometimes helps some people. Um, and then, you know, like I'm saying, go to bed earlier, go to bed earlier, but also don't force it. So if you can't sleep, the more worrying about it, it's going to just make it worse. So I usually will tell them, okay, go to bed like an hour later if you have to, and that will often fix it. But you can't, you know, it's sometimes if you're just, your legs are really tired, you need to like maybe a magnesium gel or a magnesium supplement for some people can be helpful, but definitely ask your doctor first. Wow. We actually had that question three times, three different people had that same issue. That is so interesting because I'm like the opposite. Like I can't, I'm just, I completely fall asleep. Um, That's for sure. All right. So. Actually, you know what? It's funny. I, as I'm saying that, another question came in. The same question. So, <laughs> I mean, 
I, I have. It's like people are watching this in light and like in like in like on the live stream, being like, "Yeah, ask me this question." I mean, it can often be like just leg restlessness or cramping. That happens to me a lot. Um, so it's definitely something to notice. But if you're doing it in the evening, if your workouts are within four, like three or four hours of your bedtime, you might want to consider switching it to earlier in the day because it can make a big difference. Yeah. Are there any other? Again, this isn't necessarily your field per se, but maybe this is more anecdotal of like things that even as a runner that you have done to try to like, whether it's the restless leg syndrome and things like that, where you can do whether it's foam rolling or things that can help prepare your body to handle that a little better. I do a lot of stretching, foam rolling. I've gotten better at doing it over the years. It used to be really bad with it. But stretching, foam rolling, I use the recovery boots a lot that I find really do help, the compression boots. Um, so it's, and, and really just stretching. So that's part of what I tend to do. And part of my, I don't do it as religiously as I should, but I do a um, stretching routine before bed, about 15 minutes. And I absolutely love it. And I do find that that helps. Okay. Um, let's see here. Oh, how to stay asleep. So I know this is common for people. We addressed this a little bit earlier as well, but if someone is not having an issue going to bed, they are having issues with waking up in the middle of the night. And let's just assume that it's not um, external factors like, hey, why is my kid downstairs or something? Stop right? Snoring, like, right. Right. Yeah. Or it's like your significant other is, is waking you up. Let's just say it's purely you know, on you. Yeah. You know, so to speak. So there are a few things you can start with. So one, I always try to make sure is if you're if you're snoring and you don't realize that you're snoring, sometimes I have people actually record themselves. But if you're snoring or anything like that's happening, you might want to get that evaluated because that might cause some of those awakenings. Hormonal changes can cause that. I don't know if it's a man or a woman um, that can cause it that. It is a, a woman. A woman. So if you find that you're in that stage, um, you might want to talk to your gynecologist because sometimes the hormonal changes. But the biggest thing that I actually have people do is sometimes if you're only sleeping, even if you add up all the chunks together throughout the night, if you're sleeping, say, six hours, six and a half, but you're still spending eight hours in bed, consider going to bed a little bit later and getting up at the same time. If you spend, a, it's counterintuitive, but you spend a little less time in bed, you actually might fall asleep a little bit faster and stay asleep a little bit more. Okay. So you're limiting your sleep opportunity, but potentially increasing your sleep specifically. Exactly. You'll be hungrier for it, essentially. There you go. All right. Deal. Um, this is a real question, actually, from uh, Paper Trails Greeting Company, Kristen, who owns that, who's a friend of the show and, and an awesome lady. If you've never heard of Paper Trails Greeting Company, go check them out. Running specific cards. She actually oh. sent me a note saying... Real question. I'm serious. Is there such a thing as too much sleep? So this is an adult. She's kind of in her mid to late twenties, I think. Yes. That's what we always talk in our society about insomnia. The flip side is hypersomnia. So there are some people who just need more sleep and, or they feel like, like we said about that six to nine hours. If you're like, you can't get through your day without needing nine, 10, 11 hours of sleep, you should definitely consult a sleep physician um, because there might be something going on medically that's impacting it. Um, and then there are some people who just like, they'll, they'll sleep an extra hour. They'll set their snooze or they'll turn off their alarm. Sometimes you can get a little too much sleep and actually feel worse. So if you feel like you, you have an excessive number, you definitely should talk to a doctor. Okay. All right. Last one, because we're, I, I, this is a great topic. And I'm going to say anyone who wants more information, um, if they want more information on you specifically, we'll have all this in the show notes as well, but where should they go? They can go, um, my website is just drdrshelbyharris.com. I'm also on Instagram, sleepdocshelby. So those are two pretty popular places to, to reach me. That's perfect. All right. So. COVID restrictions are waning in a lot of places and have been, have been waning for quite some time in, in others. Uh, kids are now going back to school more often. Businesses are opening up. We're also commuting is now back in the picture. So there's going to be a certain, certain members of our listener population who are wanting to get back into their waking up early routine to get back into morning workouts where maybe they didn't have to do that as much over the past year. What do you recommend for people who want to get back into a routine that has now kind of waned uh, in recent time? Yeah, that's very much on my mind. So I usually have people start to just be consistent. So that's the first thing that I didn't really stress earlier is that consistency with your bedtime, wake time is the best thing first. So you can get your body clock a little bit better set. So try to be as often as you can consistent. And then a lot of people have shifted their bedtimes later and their wake times later and they're working out whenever they can. So instead of just having the sharp, like, oh gosh, the day before I go back to work, I got to change it. It's better to do it gradually. 
So if you can, think a few weeks in advance if you have that opportunity to do that and really just say, okay, now that I have a consistent bedtime week, I'm going to try 15 minutes earlier to shift on both ends. And if you do that, then you'll eventually in a week or two get to where you want so that you can start building in the workout in the morning. So kind of like building your mileage. Exactly. Exactly. All right. That makes sense. All right. There you go. That's perfect. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. We know where people can go to learn more about you. You've been so generous with your time. So generous that we're running out of time. Um, What are, first of all, I guess, name the three reasons why Rhode Island is the best state in the union, I guess. So someone who's lived here for a long time, who has moved out, but you you know this to be true. We all know this to be true. What are your top three reasons why Rhode Island is the best place around? Only three. Um, Okay. So number one for me is that whenever I go back home, which I'm going in like two weeks, not even, um, I do a long run with some friends that still live there. And I always get a coffee milk at Dunkin' Donuts afterwards. Because in yes. my mind, that's just as good as a chocolate milk. So I have a coffee milk. Um, and no one else knows what that is. The other thing that I love is the accent. And I don't typically have it all the time. But when I get a little irritable or excited, my Rhode Island accent comes out big time and no one here understands me. Um, and then my final thing that I love is the big blue bug. I love Nibbles Woodway. Oh, the big blue. People don't know that. If you're driving down 95, driving on Interstate 95 in Rhode Island, it's just south of downtown Providence, right? Just south of where the 195-95 connection is. And it's literally, this isn't a euphemism. It's just an enormous blue bug on a building right next to the highway. And they dress it up for certain seasonal occasions. It's always fun. There are now sunglasses on the big blue bug because that's just how we roll here in Rhode Island. And the best part to me about the whole thing is that when they redid Route 95, they it's a landmark, the state landmark, that they redid the highway around the big blue bug so that it could still be the centerpiece. And if people are going, this isn't like a statue or monument. It's just this company, a pest control company, put a big blue bug on top of their building and it's now like, that's just what they're known for. The owners so, are good friends of my parents. So I, oh. I, it's been in my, like, I know it very well. My, but it's just, it's like, yeah, they just thought for advertising, we'll put a giant blue termite on the top of our building. And then it's like, you know, when, um, Sarah DeCosta, who went to high school with me as well, she won a gold medal for hockey. They put a big gold medal around the bug's head. I mean, it's amazing. Sarah DeCosta, maybe the best female goalie of all time from Rhode Island, PC grad, Rhode Islander all the way, just like you. Um, how hard was it not for you to mention Rocky Point or Dells in your top three? Dells. Oh my gosh. Or New York system, I should say, right? There's so many, there's so many choices. There's so many things. And when I have friends from New York come up to Rhode Island to like hang out with my parents, I have to, I always take them. There's a Dell's right down the road from where my parents live. Like it's just amazing. And Dell's. It's the best. Everything. It's funny. So so I did like an Instagram live from my MRI place like last week. And it was funny because it was actually like, it was on Tollgate Road. You went to Tollgate High School. You're like, I. You, you popped in, you're like, hey, Max, I'm like, hey, you know exactly where I am right now. I think I was like a mile from where you grew up, um, a mile from where my wife grew up as well, who grew up, uh, as you know, because you, she also went to Tollgate, mm-hmm. as did you. Titans. So much great stuff. Rhode Island's the best. It is. Um, and now we call Taylor Swift Rhode Island, even though she lives here for like seven days out of the year. But just another reason to love the Ocean State. It's the best. It's the best. Oh, one other thing. We have a Friday tradition. I pick my kids up from school. We go to Dunkin' Donuts on Fridays, yeah. right? Typical Rhode Island thing. The other day, they we drove by Dell's. It's now seasonally open. One of the locations. They're like, yay, Dell's. So now we're like, that's going to be the new Friday routine when I pick them up from school. They are so into that. Also, fun fact, you know what they do in the summer? Just because this is what you and I used to do as well. Somehow, they if they still have the same jingle. The Block Island Ferry oh, jingle is still the same. Oh, My kids still sing it around the house and they just it, it, some things never die my husband's from new jersey and i'll just sing these things randomly and he went to brown too he like he doesn't he didn't get any of the stuff that jingle stays with you forever forever and the, the other thing about rhode island too is like my dad and my mom grew up there they know every street in that state like the back of their hand they you know like i've done i did the Providence and Newport Marist, they just troll me because they don't call it, close off the whole course. So they know all the streets and they're just trolling you on their car the whole time. It's like, oh, it's that's small great. state living for sure. I love it. I love it. I mean, it did so, so much good stuff. Love You've it. been there. 
anyone who hasn't been there, please come. I'm trying to get our mutual friend, Allie Feller, to move here once she moves out of New Hampshire, which I'm sure she'll do at some point. Shelby, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Shelby, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an absolute blast. Man, one hour went by so fast. We have so much more to talk about. This is such an in-depth topic. Uh, And as I said in the intro, we just barely scratched the surface. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. I love it. If you could do one thing for the show, it would be two things, actually. (laughs) Two, Two things for this show. If there is a sponsor that you're particularly interested in, go over there. Check them out and use the codes that we have on the show. In addition to that, if you could just share the show with a friend or relative that you think it could help, oh man, that warms my heart. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.